You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. 2022 is the year of expanding territory. And we have been declaring over our businesses and our families, our marriage, over our lives, First Chronicles 4.10 that says this, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge or expand my territory and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm or from evil so that it might not bring me pain. And this is my favorite portion of the scripture. It says this, and God granted what he asked. We are believing that as you are praying this prayer, your pastors, staff, we, we ourselves are praying this and we're praying this over you as you are praying it, that God is going to grant the areas that you are asking God to personally and spiritually expand territory in your lives. So you expand spiritual territory also through the gifts of the spirit. And this is a series that we're in right now is expanding territory, spiritual territory through the gifts of the spirit. There are nine gifts of the spirit and we find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse four through seven. And um, this, is, this is the gifts of the spirit. It's wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning between the spirits, tongues and interpretation of tongues. The five W's of the gift of the spirit is this. Who are they for? They're for everyone. They're for all of us. What are the gifts of the spirit for? They're spiritual tools to advance the kingdom or to expand territory. And where are the gifts from? They're from God. When were these gifts given? After Jesus ascended and on the day of Pentecost. Why are they important? It's the power to expand territory. So this morning, I am ministering on the gift of faith, expanding territory. And the Lord said this to me as I prayed this week, that faith is the only gift that activates all of the gifts. Let us pray this morning. So Lord, we just thank you that your presence is in this place. We thank you that your glory abides and fills this place. Lord, we thank you that this place is not just a temple, but each of us are your temple. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would abide within us. We ask that you would reform our ideas, opinions, and thoughts and ways. And that Lord, your opinions, your ways, and your truth would rule and reign in us. So this morning, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We say we are your sons and daughters. So Father, would you do what only you can do through us this morning? Lord, we ask that we would be a people that walk in faith and testify of your goodness. So we declare, let it be done this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, we find the gift of faith actually found, or I'm sorry, we find the definition of faith found in Hebrews 11.1. But I'm going to continue through verse 3. It's titled this, By Faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation or they received their good reputation. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The message translation puts it this way in verse 1, which I love how it states this. It says, says it like this. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living for. It's our handle on what we can't see. And the act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. Notice it says the act of faith. I'm going to get to this in just a little bit. But then it also says that the act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them apart. So if you are part of distinguished um, uh, business community or marked women's uh, events that you've been to in the past, you know that we chose these names based upon what this scripture is actually saying right here. Because to be distinguished or to be marked literally means to be set apart. And this scripture says what sets them apart from the rest, what sets them apart from the crowd is their faith in him. So for us to be a people that are set apart and marked by him means we have to operate in the fullness of what this gift of faith is. So I'm going to break it down for you today because there are two parts to faith. And the first is this, belief. That we believe in God, which is a good thing. And a lot of people believe in God, but it's where a lot of Christians actually stop in their faith. James 2.19 calls it out by saying it like this. You believe that God is one. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. James is saying if you want to be set apart, your faith cannot stop at salvation. Your faith cannot stop just believing merely in God, but your faith has to continue after salvation. So he begins to challenge the body of Christ by saying, look, there's no difference between you and demons in hell if your belief or your faith just stops in believing in God. The second part of it is this, and this is where our faith continues and distinguishes us. And it is this, that we are a people that trust God. It is us walking out our faith where we daily have faith or we daily trust in him. So the second part of our faith that we trust in God means that we obey him, which is justified through our works or deeds. James 2, 14 through 17 says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them tells you, go in peace, stay warm and well fed, but does not provide for his physical needs, what good is that? So too, faith by itself, if it does not result in action, is dead. If our faith does not result in action, it is dead. See, there's been a war, I believe, over faith and works and what James and Paul were really 
talking about. And a lot of people believe that what they were saying were actually conflicting each other. But I believe if you look at scripture, all throughout scripture, they're saying the same thing. And here's what was taking place during this time period is that Jesus came and he came and he, when he came, he shook everything and everybody up. Jesus came and he shook up the Pharisees and their religious ways. He came in and he shook up the, the, the religious things of looking to a man and putting our faith in a man and doing these deeds that would earn our salvation. And then he came and he shook some things up with believers and followers that said, man, I, we know the Messiah is coming, but did the Messiah really come out of Nazareth? Man, the Messiah really come from Mary and Joseph? Man, was the Messiah really a carpenter? We see him doing these things, but all of a sudden he began to shake up what their ideas were of the Messiah, what he looked like, what he was coming to do. And then he came and he shook up the disciples, his close followers that thought that a king was coming to conquer, to sit on an earthly throne. And when he kept telling them, no, I'm gonna be crucified on a cross, they began to say, no, Lord, don't say that. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Or yes, because you are an offense unto me. No, I have come not to sit on an earthly, earthly throne, but to rule from a heavenly one. So everything in Jesus' presence, when he came, he shook up the opinions, the thoughts, the beliefs of man everywhere that he went. So when Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came, you have the disciples, you have James, you have Paul, now trying to make all these crooked ways straight. You have some people that are now trying to hold on to these religious ways because Jesus died, he's gone, we don't see him. Maybe it was just a fluke that he came. I know he did some signs and miracles, but he's no longer here and we need something to worship. And so people that went back to their religious and old ways, and then there was those like the Galatians that experienced the power of God, the presence of God. They were believers and they received the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. So as they are going from town to town, they had to know who they were speaking to. They had to bring correction to the crooked things that were trying to come in to steal the body of Christ's faith. So this war has continued, I believe, over faith and works. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Man, Paul is pretty clear right here that it is not by works or but what by what we do that we are saved. It is by his work that he did on the cross, that he paid the price, a perfect man, so that we could walk in freedom and the fullness of the Holy Spirit to operate through us. So it is not our works that save us, it is Jesus and his grace and faith through that grace that we are saved. Yet it says after verse nine, see it's so funny how we often quote our favorite scriptures and then we stop and we don't finish. In verse 10 it says this, for we are his workmanship created 
for good works that we should walk in them. See, it is by grace and through faith that we are saved. Salvation is a free gift, yet we are called to walk and demonstrate good works in the earth, church. James went on to say, to say it like this when he was calling out the, the, act, the faith without action being dead. He says this in verse 20. Oh, foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is worthless? Was not our father Abraham justified by what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was working with his actions and his faith was perfected by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God or what he had faith in God that was supported by, justified by his actions. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. As you can see, it says in verse 24, a man is justified by his deeds and not by faith. Or when you pull out apart this word faith and you study this, this word faith in the Greek, it means not by belief alone. See, our faith in God or our trust in God should ignite us to obey him and to do his good work in the earth. We are saved by grace through faith, not works, yet our faith is dead without works, or our faith is justified by works. I want to teach this morning because I believe that there has been messages that have confused the body of, uh, the body of Christ on this. We just came through a season where the message of, of grace, but it was really perverted grace, was popular. And it was preached so that burning ears could hear what they wanted to hear. It was altar calls and conferences and performances of altar calls and calling young people up saying, it doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how you live. It's true it doesn't matter what you've done. But the altar calls were, you just have to say this prayer and then you're in. But there was no mention of repentance of turning our lives away from the old lifestyle, the old works and into him, into Christ. Now my faith, not just what I say and what I profess my belief in him, but that now this repentance has turned my life and shifted my gaze, my faith is now in him. And Jude actually warned us of this. Jude says this in Jude 1, verse 3 through 4. Beloved, although I made every effort to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt it necessary to write and urge you to contend earnestly. He is intense in this moment saying this is a real issue. He is saying, I am writing to urge you to contend earnestly for the faith entrusted once and for all to the saints. For certain men have crept in among you unnoticed, ungodly ones who were designated long ago for condemnation. They turned the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Another version says it like this, for perverted grace. 
and they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These men are discontented grubblers following their own lust. Their mouths spew arrogance. They flatter others for their own advantage. I believe that we are in the fruit. We have seen the yucky fruit of this season of this message of perverted grace by seeing preachers, pastors, and leaders fall into sexual immorality and doing these things that really believe the same message they were saying to others, that all that it matters is that we're under grace and our works or our deeds or the way we live our life does not matter. Yet the word of God is very clear that our, that our deeds are actually what justify our faith in Jesus. And so I, I believe that I believe that although we are seeing the fruit of that season, that we are coming full circle where we are going to see a generation lead in righteousness and true justice. That we are going to see a generation that comes out of the message of perverted grace that is full of the Holy Ghost and the gifts that operate in signs and in wonders. And so Jude continues in, in verse five by saying, hey, let me make this really, really clear for generations to come. Let me give you an example of what perverted grace looks like. And he says this in verse five, although you are fully aware of this, I wanna remind you that after Jesus had delivered his people out of the land of Egypt, he destroyed those who did not believe, or actually this word believe when you study it is actually talking about faith with actions justifying faith. And he goes in into verse six to talk about those actions. It says this in verse six, and the angels who did not stay within their own domain, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept eternal chains under darkness, bound for judgment on that great day. In like manner, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them who indulge in sexual immorality and pursued strange flesh are on display as an example of those who sustain the punishment of eternal fire. He is pointing out the actions or the deeds of the people and of the angels that actually justified their lack of faith. Paul says it like this in Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, the body of Christ too, might walk in the newness of life. This means that we are saved by his wonderful grace and through his wonderful grace, which is not a license to sin, in fact, it is the empowerment to overcome sin, to overcome bondage, to overcome generational curse, to overcome temptation. And this is the other side of this yucky message of perverted grace is that our God died, not just so that we could be saved and then have a great life when we make it into eternity, but that so we could live life set free on earth. Come on, do you know what that means? That that means that the struggles are things that the enemy has placed in front of you. 
that his grace doesn't mean like, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just sweep it. No, it means that his grace, what he paid that high price for empowers you to be free, to be set free and no longer in bondage. It is why we cannot accept this message of preferred, uh, perverted grace. Hmm. I believe so many Christians are walking in this place of continual sin and continual bondage where their faith hasn't truly turned to him. And we are operating in belief without trust in him. But when we begin to trust him, when we begin to set our eyes on him and not our struggles, set our eyes on what he did on the cross and not sin, all of the sudden we open our eyes one day and say, where did that sin? Where did that struggle? Where did that, where did it go? Because we have been consistently walking with our King, with our focus on him, walking in grace through faith. We cannot tell a, a generation or a congregation that you are truly saved by saying a prayer if their faith has not truly turned to Jesus. So how do we know if our faith is truly turned to Jesus? By our works, by our lifestyle. Do our works glorify him? Church, do your works, do your deeds, do your actions glorify him? Or do our works point to lawlessness, fleshliness, sin, because in this case, our works do not justify our faith or testify of Jesus and what he paid the price for. See, faith in Jesus means this, that our fear has turned to Jesus. I preached a message on this earlier this year about how the fear of the Lord expands territory. If you have not heard it or you have not listened to it, <clears throat> I strongly encourage you to go and listen to it because I believe that the body of Christ <clears throat> is in an incredible season where God is about to release levels of authority, work and signs, miracles and wonders, but our faith and fear have to be in him. Our gaze, when I break down fear, it is not that we are afraid of God, it's that we honor and reverence him. So it means that nothing else, our faith is in nothing else, that literally it is a wild thing that there is no option B. There is no God, if you don't answer, then here. No faith in my fear says, I am in this in the long haul, no matter if you answer or you don't answer. No matter if I look foolish or not, God, we are in this together. My faith, my fear is in you and nothing else. It's not in mammon. It's not in provision. It's not in money. It's not in people. It's not in resources. It's not in a man answering this with me. My faith and my fear is completely in you. Do you know that faith will make you look foolish? And can I even push so hard to say that if you've never looked foolish in your life, you may not be walking in faith because when God gives his people things to believe for and works to walk in, it will make you look foolish so that it glorifies him. If it can be done in your own strength, you are not walking in faith. You are walking in works that glorify you instead of him. Come on, the 
works that we are walking out are his works through us that point back to him. Yes, it justifies our faith, but it testifies of our Messiah. It testifies of our King of Kings and how good and big and mighty he is. See, your works will either testify of the goodness and grace of Jesus or it will testify against him. People around you that are on the fence about believing or are unbelievers will watch your actions. It does not mean that we will ever be perfect. He is the only perfect one. But do not be fooled to think that the ones that you are testifying to about him will not pay attention for a season to your actions. And that when something goes your way, do you bow and falter to it or do you stand in faith? And all of a sudden, when they see a man or woman of God walking through the fire, standing in faith, all of a sudden, they know that your king, that your God must be real because it gave you what? Something to live for, something to stand for, something to believe for because he was in charge. So we've learned this this morning. Our two points in faith is belief and trust in Jesus. Faith does not stop with salvation. Faith should propel us to put our trust in Jesus and not just in Jesus, but in his Holy Spirit. See, with salvation through faith comes relationship and with his Holy Spirit. And with the promise of the Holy Spirit comes the gifts that empower us to do good works. And the good works are those that testify of him and expand kingdom territory. We find this in Galatians 3.14, and it starts off like this. It says, he redeemed us in order. I'm gonna pause there. Because what he is saying is, I'm about to tell you the reason why he redeemed you. He redeemed us in order that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. When you break down what it's saying about the Spirit, it is talking about the Holy Spirit, but not just receiving the Holy Spirit, but all of who he is, including the gifts of the Spirit. I believe this is why the body of Christ is so attacked by the religious spirit so as to not receive the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Because this is what James was talking about, about a dead faith or a dead church. We have experienced probably a lot of us in this room, churches that are not moving in the Holy Spirit or not moving in the gifts of the Spirit because a religious spirit has come to attack the faith of the body of Christ and faith is the gift that releases the rest of the gifts. And so if we can take their faith, if we can steal their faith so that they don't believe for healing, so they don't believe and move in prophecy, so they don't move in in speaking in tongues and the distinguishing between spirits, come on, if they don't don't move in miracle signs and wonders, then what? We have some talking heads and a dead church. We have some people that are taking some notes and leaving and never walking out what they learned. 
Come on, we cannot be hearers of the word. We must be doers of the word. Christ did not die on the cross and then come back three days later to ascend to give us the promise of the Holy Spirit to fill us to go home and sit in front of a TV. He gave us the Holy Spirit because Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once. But he said, I'm going to go be with him and I'm going to send you my presence. I'm going to send you my spirit so he can be omnipresent. So I can ignite the body of Christ and I can fill you with my presence and all of the gifts so that everywhere you go, you expand kingdom territory. Can you imagine if the body of Christ gets a hold of what I'm saying right now, that you have a tool belt fastened around you with tools and weapons and can I just annihilate the lie that you have to ask for one or two gifts and if you ask for more than you're greedy Hebrews 11 says that the gifts no it says all of the gifts are for everyone that is the enemy in your ear to make you feel greedy, to ask for all of the gifts when Christ meant for the entire body of Christ to operate in all of the gifts. Can I tell you when he fills you, he fills you, yes, with that faith to believe that we are going to do later today to ask for all of the gifts. But can you imagine an army, a body of Christ that wipes the dust Come on, wipes the dust off of these tools, weapons, and gifts and moves them to the forefront. Can you imagine if just this room, if just this room today grabs a hold of this truth, that you begin to shift your, your gaze, your vision, your attention, your purpose, your passion into walking and healing, miracles, all of the gifts. Do you know what would happen to Fort Worth in this region? Do you know what would happen to this city if just this room operated in the gifts that Christ paid for? Families, cities, education, all of the mountains, it would be reformed. That when you walk into the political realm, when you walk into the education realm, when you walk into missions, just walking in his presence with his gifts and the entire atmosphere shifts because healings break out, signs and wonders, miracles. Can you imagine in your business when you stop focusing on just building your business, but walk in the gifts, what your business would do? We would shift this city. We would shift this state. And I believe we're going to. See, this is why fear, intimidation, and doubt persecute the church. Because it is to steal your faith in him so that you're not a vessel of his gifts. Because all of a sudden when Pastor Jan is preaching on healing, and you want it. You desire it, but you're struggling in your faith in that moment because the enemy begins to attack your mind and tell you he's not going to answer. He's not, he doesn't really do that anymore. This is just an emotional moment. They just know how to yell. They know how to lift their hands. This is an emotional moment. And all of a sudden, we begin to deactivate our faith. You want to know what happens when this takes place, when, when the body of Christ begins to take for granted his presence, his glory, and his power, we see it in Matthew 13 through 
56 through 58. This is where Jesus lived in his hometown and the people said this about him. Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. They took for granted Jesus living in their hometown. Just grasp this for a second, that everywhere that Jesus went, Pastor Jan preached this last week, he healed all. Do you know that him just walking into his hometown, just the presence of Jesus living, sleeping, eating consistently in this town, that this town didn't have to ever have a need. They had the Messiah, his presence with them all of the time, yet these were the ones that took his presence for granted. And it says because of the lack of their faith in him that it stopped the gifts, it stopped miracles from taking place. Can I tell you this morning that if you are consistently operating in this disbelief or faith, and I say in him because some of us say silly things like this, I don't know if I can have faith for that. I can have faith for this but I don't know if I can have faith for that. Can I tell you this morning, your faith isn't in that. Your faith is in him. Your faith isn't in things. Your faith isn't in accomplishments. Your faith isn't in a miracle. Your faith is in him. And when your faith is in him, then properly we see the gifts administrated. We see miracles, signs, and wonders. Church, we cannot be we cannot become numb or take for granted his presence that is here every Sunday. We cannot take for granted his presence that we have Monday through Saturday. See, their lack of faith in him stopped the free gifts from flowing. Galatians 3, 1 through 9 were the people. Galatians, the Galatians were the people that had experienced the outpouring it experienced Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Yet one through nine says this, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? This just moved. Or did you hear it by faith? And what he was saying, what he was bringing recognition to, is he was saying, Galatians, you have not received the Holy Spirit by doing religious works that glorify you. You're living in the old. You have received the Holy Spirit and these gifts because of your faith in Jesus. See, church, we don't have to work to receive his gifts. It's through faith in Jesus that you receive his spiritual gifts. This is why your faith will be so attacked because if your faith perseveres in Jesus, you will receive all of the gifts. The enemy knows that if he attacks your faith, he gets in the way of you receiving all of them and all of the gifts or what will empower you to do great works that testify of his great name so he continues to say this in verse 3 are you so foolish that after starting in the spirit are you now finishing in the flesh 
just let that settle. Because he's speaking to us. Everything that you believe for. All of the moments with the tears down your face, the things he's done for you, the gifts filling you. Are you going to finish in the flesh? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing, does God lavish his spirit on you and work miracles among you because you practice the law or because you hear and believe? And he says this in verse 6 and he quotes the same. Abraham, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and foretold the gospel to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The Bible is saying that Abraham's faith was justi justified by his works. What work am I talking about? When he offered his son Isaac up, he had to have the faith to say to his promise to his son, we have to head up a mountain today. He had been believing his entire life for this promise. He had been waiting his entire life for God to fulfill this. Believing God, having faith. Now he has him and the Lord says, give him back. Sacrifice him on the mountain. Do you know the faith that it took for Abraham just to get up that day? The, the, the faith that it took for him to tell his son to join him on this hike up a mountain that day. And then the faith that it took for every single step that he took up that mountain. Can you imagine the war that began to wage on his mind as he looked at his promise, as he looked at his son? Every step closer to the sacrifice of his promise. The enemy is saying, where is your God now? You believed your whole life. What kind of a God would give you a promise and take him away from you? Can you imagine the words of the enemy in Abraham's mind? Every single step, Abraham decided to take another step and another step. And it was a step of faith. And it was a step of a work saying, I'm going to work myself up this mountain. I'm going to let my action show you, God, that my faith is in you. Righteousness.
just trust in and believe and see some of you forgot. That scripture says, a mustard seed of faith is all you need to speak to that mountain. You thought you needed more faith. You don't need more faith. You need to remind yourself the authority, the gifts, the weapons that are in your tool belt. See, Abraham knew as he was walking up that mountain, I own this mountain. I can say in one moment for this mountain to be removed, but I am choosing this day to trust my king if it giving my son back. Some of you have thought, considered backpedaling off of that mountain, forgetting you have the authority over that mountain you're climbing up. Here to remind you this morning, church, you carry the authority of the one who conquered death and was risen on the third day. He's not silent. He's not being silent to you. He is near you, but he is testing your faith. And not because he is a mean God, because he is a good God and he has gifts. He has gifts for you that you haven't even thought of of asking. He has provision for you that you haven't even thought of of asking, but he is testing your faith. Will you keep your faith in him? had a vision at the first service. And in the first service, it was the body of Christ deciding to walk on that narrow road, taking each step. And all of a sudden, those that were on the side of the road, all of a the sudden, there would be a hand of provision that would just pop out because of saying yes, of taking the steps down that narrow path. And I believe those of you that are being tested in this walk of faith right now, don't you dare give up or backpedal. Don't you dare give an inch to the enemy. Come on, you are in a prophetic year of expanding territory. You think the enemy is gonna sit down in hell and let you expand territory without trying to taunt you, without trying to lie to you, without trying to get you to think that your God has abandoned you? Of course he's gonna say those things so that you don't expand kingdom territory. Of course he is. So tomorrow what I want you to do when he attacks your faith because of what he's about to drop on you, I want you to laugh in the face of the enemy and take another step of faith and another step of faith and another step of faith saying God I will look foolish for you can you imagine those that knew what Abraham was going to do how do you sacrifice and kill the very promise that God gave you because God said to and that's all that Abraham needed because his trust was in God. And his trust, his faith was justified. And it says that righteousness was added to him. See, some of you have been trying to work out your righteousness. Can I tell you that that's another free gift? You know what God wants? He wants you to be faithful. Trusting him.
I can tell you this and personally testify, I've never been in a season where I have personally welcomed and enjoyed the test of faith that God has brought me like I am currently in. And the Lord has told me over and over again and reminded me of a weapon in my tool belt and it being laughter. And I believe that laughter is motivated. The fuel behind, behind laughter in the face of the enemy is faith. Because when the enemy even tries, you see it as this big instead of a giant. And faith says, I can laugh at you, Goliath. I can laugh at you, fiery furnace. I can laugh at you, Haman. I can laugh at the evil because my God's goodness is so much greater. And he deserves all of my faith. Church, is he being good to you? Is he worthy of your trust? Is he worthy of your faith? God, you are so worthy of all, all of our faith and all of our fear. John 14, 11 through 14 says this, believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works. See, we don't, we don't quote that part. We quote the part where we're gonna do greater than Jesus, but, we, but what he says before that is believe that I'm the Father and the Father is in me or else at least believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and even greater works than he will do because I am going to be at the Father and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified through the Son and if you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it, charge, he will, he is going to do it, he is going to do it. He does care that we're doing great works because he paid the price. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that he could be glorified through our good works. See, when you can put your faith in him, in him, to heal someone, you are testifying about Jesus. When you can put your faith in him to believe, to bring prophecy to your unbelieving family, you are testifying of Jesus. When you can put your faith in him to bring wisdom and solutions to injustice, you are testifying about Jesus. When you can put your faith in him to believe for the gift of speaking in tongues and worship and pray in the spirit, you are testifying of Jesus. When you can put your faith in him to believe for miracles for your family, for our government, our nation, the justice reform, all of it, you are testifying of Jesus. See, some of us have thought that our works of faith are on our own shoulders, but that's when we begin to put our faith because we want glory for ourselves. But know this, if you always keep glory in the right place towards him, your faith stays in him and not in your own ability for God to do the miraculous. Titus 3 says this, but when the goodness 
and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And verse 8 says this, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Worship team, come up. Faith in God means that we trust him. When we have faith, it doesn't stop at salvation. It means we are filled with his spirit and all of his gifts. And those gifts empower us to do good works that testify of Jesus. So I want to know something this morning. Church, do you believe that anything is possible with God? Do you believe that anything is possible with God? Church, I want to know this morning, do you believe that anything is possible with God? I want to know, do you believe that cancer can leave bodies? I want to know, do you believe that God can save America? Can God save the nations? Can God overturn Roe v. Wade? Can God make abortion illegal? Come on, can he make sex slavery illegal? Can he save your family? Can he use his next generation for his glory? Come on, do you believe this morning that anything is possible with our king? See, this is what the Lord showed me is a couple things. I believe that the Lord is gonna heal us of some things that has attacked our faith. And then he's gonna release the gift of faith this morning. I was a young girl dating Landon for about a year. We'd moved to California and living in a pastor's household that was really operating in a religious spirit. And I didn't understand the warfare that was taking place but I'd had it to hear one day and I was packing up my bags and I was leaving. I was leaving Landon, it was when we were dating, I think I was 19, I was leaving everything and I was running back to my old life. Funny how when our circumstances don't seem great for some reason we think that our horrible experience, our past life seems better. Remember Landon coming into my room that day and saying, what are you doing? and I'm packing up and I'm going and I determined there was nothing he could say to stop me from going, nothing but God. And he began to say a lot of things that made me more and more mad, <laughs> confronted me, or just packed all the more, pack it, pack it. And then he began to minister to me and the Lord gave him just the words to say to me began to minister to me on generational curses and that I'd ran from things my entire life and it was to stop running away from things. I began to melt, weep in the presence of God. He began to pray over me and the next day I had a moment with the Lord and I said, if I'm gonna do this, if I'm gonna make, if I'm gonna be able to marry him, do this thing, this, this call that I feel, Lord, that you're saying, 
There's two things that I'm lacking and I need it. You want to know at 19 years old what one of those things that I wrote down in my journal and said, Lord, give me faith. Begin a year study on every scripture on faith. I began to pray it over myself every single day, asking for the gift of faith, declaring faith over me. Lord, make me a woman of faith, declaring every single scripture I could find on faith and say, let it be true every single day for a year. I've had countless words, prophetic words over my life for operating in the gift of faith. I believe this morning I'm supposed to release that gift of faith. I believe that as that gift of faith is released, that the faith for all of the things to expand territory, God is gonna release solutions. He's gonna release his ideas. And he's gonna flood out your ideas. He's gonna flood out your solutions. He's gonna flood out the things that you thought was gonna make that thing work. And the Lord is about to download to you this morning. So when I ask, do you believe, does your God, can he do anything? Because the God who can do anything is about to show up in a mighty way in your life. I wanna tell you that faith isn't trying to catch God to see if he will bite or answer. Faith is putting yourself out there to look foolish and crazy. Every time I put my faith out there to believe something that God put out, go build these residences. Well, I've never done that before, Lord. Yep, because I'm gonna get the glory out of it. There's nobody you can ask because nobody else has done it before too to make sure I get the glory out of it. So when I think that that's enough, people come on up to me all the time in this church. The Lord says, dream bigger. It's really important to not just dream bigger, but to do bigger with God. So stay as a dream but it becomes a work with the Lord. I remember the first time I stood on this platform declaring to this congregation, we're not just building the first justice residence in America, we're building them across the nation. And inside I was like, God, I hope you do that. Cause it's foolish. It's never been done before. But you wanna know what I've learned about God? It's every time you begin to step and partner with him, it's like, wait, you're gonna believe for one family member? Okay, well, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back. You might have to toil with that for a couple of years until you wanna ask me for something else, until you wanna ask me for legacy. Do you wanna ask me for your entire family name, both sides, cousins, down, generations, the next three generations to come that are gonna serve me? There's going to be some prayers and things that God has placed in you that God is about to change. Because what I saw in the first service that I believe as a whole is for this body, is I saw God release dreams or things to do, works for you to do in expanding territory. But they were so big that all of the sudden, God, how do I accomplish this with this resources, with this amount of money, in this amount of time? God, don't you know we're on a time frame? And all of a sudden, when all of these doubting questions came, I had a vision of this silver platter coming. And what you didn't know is it was the hand of the enemy. 
And he said, here's a silver platter for option B. Since God gave you something so foolish, so wild, so out there that can't be done because it's never been done, here's something that you and I can do in our strength. Here's something that can be done now. And I felt that the Lord just needed to shatter some of those plates, some of those silver plates that was offered up to you this year because the Lord isn't partnered with it. The Lord is about to partner with some of you and hand out these gold plates to you that says, you might think that this is gonna take longer. You might think that this is gonna take more. But what I saw in the spirit is like a downshift. As you downshift and you came down to what God was saying in your testing of faith, all of a sudden there was a propelling that pushed you so much further than what you could have done in your own strength with your own gifts and your own resources. So close your eyes this morning. Everybody stand to your feet. Faith is declaring, I have no clue how to make this happen, but I know who I can put my faith and trust in because he is trustworthy. Faith is when the works you are doing is beyond what you can make happen on your own. So this morning I felt there was supposed to be a moment of repentance. What silver platter have you taken? What option B or what straight disobedience have you said no to because you thought you couldn't do it? But this morning the Lord, oh, he's straightening out those crooked ways in your heart, those crooked thoughts, those crooked beliefs that thought it was all you when Jesus is saying, no, it's all me. I just need a vessel to say yes and to walk in faithfulness. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 